0: Welcome back to the Field Goals Podcast, Seahawks fans. I am your host, Dan Viennes, and uh, this is our rapid reaction to the Week 2 contest against the San Francisco 49ers, a 27-7 loss down in Santa Clara. Lots to talk about. An ugly game, to be be kind, a sloppy, ugly game. Mookie Alexander, managing editor of Field Goals, joins me. We're going to break this down uh, between the two of us. Mookie, welcome in
1: yeah um it would have been better if I came on last week uh, because that would have been a more enjoyable <laughs> recap otherwise I, I said in in our in our private chats in the third quarter that this recap was only going to be a minute long it, and this would be the shortest podcast in history uh, but I guess we do have to talk about we, we got to face the music for that one because that was uh that was pretty bad
0: yeah, it was and uh we'll talk about kind of what that means big picture in a moment but but first off right off the top, Um, What we thought this game was going to be changed on the first drive for the 49ers. Um, Trey Lance, their young quarterback, who they traded three first-round picks to move up and get last year out of North Dakota State. um, In the first quarter, on their first drive, inside the red zone. Uh, Another quarterback power, design run play called for him up the middle. He's hit by Cody Barton. He stays on the field. At first, I thought, well, he must have got a concussion. It looked like kind of in the pile, that may be what happened. Barton got a good lick on him. And then you know, there was really nothing immediate. There was no immediate reaction, players waving guys over whatever. And then it kind of slowly developed. And then you realize, oh, geez, they're putting an air cast on and this is serious. And now we know that Trey Lance has fractured his ankle. They're calling it a very similar injury to what um, Dak Prescott suffered two years ago. He will have surgery. He will miss the season. Um, a big blow for the 49ers. Well, we'll talk about what, a, what kind of a blow that might be. But just as far as the game on the field, always unfortunate to see a player Injured, especially one with such a promising future ahead of him potentially is Trey Lance. But right out of the gate, you're game planning for a guy who runs the football a lot, who's, who's a unique player. They've game planned in a unique way for him on offense. And now suddenly he's out of the game. Here comes Jimmy Garoppolo. After all the offseason, all the questions about whether he'd even be a 49er. Uh, it was assumed he'd be traded. It was assumed he'd be released. They end up extending him for moments like this that I'm sure they didn't expect to happen week two. What were your initial thoughts when Trey Lance had to leave the game and we knew we were going to be having to flip over to facing Jimmy Garoppolo once again?
1: Yeah, my initial thoughts were the same as yours when it came to the injury because I saw him grabbing his helmet. Yeah, So I thought, okay, he, he might have taken a head shot and he, he's a runner, but they can still penalize you for, for taking a helmet shot. And then, of course, we're not at the game, but I see that people who are at the game are noting that the cart was coming out and thinking, all right, that's already bad. And then I hear air cast and that the teams are on the field and you just fear the worst for him. And it looks like the, the worst has happened to Trey Lance. And that's really, really a bummer Yeah. Um, because for, for whatever you may think of Lance's upside as a, as a quarterback, he was thought to be the franchise, the next franchise quarterback for the 49ers an exciting young talent. And you got to think about how little football he has played over the last few years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he basically took 2020 off other than a, what one game uh, with the COVID year and decided I'm going to wait and then get drafted next year. Yeah. So he gets drafted in 2021 and Garoppolo starts most of the season. He only appears in a couple of games. He only starts in a couple of games. Like he, he did like spot duty and in a game here and there. And now just in his second start as a full-time starter, he, he has a catastrophic injury. So by the time next year rolls around, he'll have played like five full games in, in four years. Yeah. And, I mean, you're not you're not going to be able to develop that way when you're not playing a lot of football. So a heart goes out to Trey Lance, hopefully has a, a good recovery, and, and it's as, as sound as can be. And then on the football side of things with Garoppolo, there was a part of me going, all right, the worst quarterback has come in because mm-hmm. Garoppolo, you would figure he might not – terrible. He's not rock bottom of the league quarterback or anything. But he's willing to give one or two away. And naturally, he had no turnovers. But um, early on, the Seahawks defense was just letting Garoppolo get whatever he wanted. I mean, he was really bad in the first half. No pass rush for the whole game, but the coverage breakdowns were were prevalent. And Garoppolo was just carving them up. And you know what? It, It tells you something that for somebody who does not take a lot of deep shots like Garoppolo, he was willing to sling it down the field. And that, you know, given no game plan or whatever, the fact that they were willing to do that almost seemed like an insult to the Seahawks defense, but you know what? You got to stop them. And they did not do a good job of stopping Garoppolo in the first half. They did better in the second half, but I feel like that was a mixture of second half adjustments and mother nature kicked in and gave us uh, a a good showering there down in Santa Clara.
0: Yeah. Second week in a row, the 49ers had to play in uh, really, really tough weather conditions Um, didn't go in their favor week one. It certainly did today I Just from a football perspective, when that happened, I thought, okay, this gives us a real shot. I mean, going into the game, my, my questions were, is this team going to come out emotionally ready? Is there going to be a letdown after week one? And then just from a football perspective, how are the young guys going to look? What's the game plan going to look like? You know, how, how are they going to... I thought this week was going to tell us more about who this team was than week one did, um, <laughs> which we'll get to in a minute. But I'm thinking, okay... Now, the the defensive game plan simplifies for the Seahawks, doesn't it? They don't have to worry about QB power. They don't have to worry about design quarterback runs. All that stuff can go out the window, which after that first drive, I thought, well, good, because they were gashing us in the run game. Uh, for the second week in a row, the Broncos started off doing that last week as well. Just massive gaps in the interior of that defensive line for the running backs to run through and the quarterback to run through. Converted a couple of third downs. So I thought, well, now it's... Now it's much simpler game plan. Now we can tee off a little bit. We don't have to spy Jimmy Garoppolo. Gives us another guy in coverage. This gives us an advantage. And there were questions. Jimmy Garoppolo had rotator cuff surgery less than a year ago. Like if he was a baseball pitcher, he wouldn't he'd be missing another season before he's coming back from that. So there were questions about what what his arm strength would would look like, what his accuracy would look like. He just looked like the same old Jimmy Garoppolo and he he looked efficient enough. And it took, like you said, it took an entire half for that Seahawks defense to kind of pull it together. But the story today, as I sit here and my rapid reaction to this game is the Seahawks offense is pretty terrible. And no matter what happens on defense, and we'll still talk about some of that and what some of the young guys did. That offense looks inefficient. It looks unfocused. It doesn't look like there's any kind of identity there. Again, a Pete Carroll offense, 31 passing attempts. Granted, they were behind most of the game. 31 passing attempts, 30 of those by a quarterback, which we'll explain in a moment. (laughs) And uh, only 12 rushing attempts by running backs. Rashad Penny never got going. They tried to feed Kenneth Walker. He never got going. What's your overall takeaway of the issues on offense that we're seeing? Because they were masked in, in week one by a couple of big plays in the first half. No yeah. scores in the second half against Denver. Geno Smith did nothing in the second half against Denver. Was efficient today, 24 out of 30. No dynamic plays, a lot of dump offs, a lot of check downs, only 197 yards, one interception, no touchdowns. Overall impressions of the offense.
1: Yeah. Um well if I did an impression of the offense, it would just be a fart noise. But um <laughs> as far as the, the the assessment of the offense, Gino is Gino. I mean, I, I I compare him to to it's not a direct comparison, but this looked like a lot of the Tafaris-Jackson games of the 2011 season, mm-hmm. which and, and probably less conservative, or rather more conservative than that. Um, the shots down the field were, were few and far between. And, and the one time that Geno had a, a genuinely big play down the field to, to Metcalf, a phenomenal catch. Yeah. But I'm just glad that he, it was a get-up-and-go-get-it ball. Um, Abe Lucas is, is an ineligible man down the field, and even that was a trick play. And boy, that wasn't the worst trick play of the game, uh, yeah. as we found out later on in the series. But um, so I've been on the side of just keeping Geno as, as a starter, and then Drew Locke is like in case of emergency. And while I'm still on that that uh, that side of the fence, and I believe that Locke's upside is really just not nearly as high as people think it might be. Geno's had five starts dating back yeah. to last year with the Seahawks. Three. In, in 2021 when Wilson was injured and then the first two here, they have hit 300 yards of offense one time. Mm-hmm. And that one time was against Pittsburgh. That game went into overtime. So that means in four quarters of football, they have never gone above 300 yards of offense with, with Gino a quarterback. Yeah. Now this wasn't all on him because some of his better plays, again, erased by penalty. Um, I didn't mind the interception because it was a third and long play and he's trying to convert down the field. But he made some other dangerous throws. Had a couple
0: of near misses.
1: Yeah. A couple of near misses. His pocket presence still just is absolutely aggravating to watch. Like all our our frustrations with Wilson over the years, Smith just does not sense pressure at a high level. And we shouldn't expect him to. I mean, he's been a backup for for a while for a reason. Um, So the passing attack was one thing, but the rushing offense was really inept. I mean, they had, I think Walker and Penny combined for 25 yards on 10 carries. And you're not going to just keep running into a brick wall. The blocking was suboptimal. And I think we should have anticipated that because, you know, Denver is, is, is we think, a, at least a decent defense. Mm-hmm. But the Niners' defense has been great yeah. for at least two out of the last three years. When they're healthy, they're a great defense. And Cross and Lucas and, and, and Lythe and Jackson and Phil Haynes, because Lewis ended up getting injured, they all took their lumps at some point. Gabe Jackson in particular was really bad. Um, and he's the veteran of the offensive line. Yeah. Lucas had a couple of penalties, including one that was a real killer there on the Metcalf catch. But when they couldn't run the ball, it feared the worst because they didn't run it great against Denver, but they at least got a couple of good convergence here and there. And and even Penny broke one for 20 something yards in in that game. But in this one, their longest carry was eight yards and Smith is not really a a dual threat quarterback. So yeah, this, this offense is just really not going to be up to par against good defenses. Now, the Falcons defense and, and maybe you know other bad teams, that could be a different story. Sort of like the Jaguars game last year, Regina was starting out hot and they, they went comfortably. But against defenses like San Francisco, they really have no chance because if the running game gets stuffed, they're going to be put in too many obvious passing situations that Smith is just not going to be able to handle. And if I have a bone to pick with Shane Waldron beyond uh, the play call that we'll talk about a little later on, yeah, why is DK Metcalf treated like a possession receiver? Because I'd love to see his route tree. And it is baffling to me. This is two games in a row now where his catches are generally within five, ten yards of the line of scrimmage and targets down the field are are virtually non existent. And if that's the way to, that, that is like the least efficient way to use DK Metcalf. They use Lockett pretty well. I mean, Lockett was one of the few players in this entire game who could hold his head up high. Yeah. And he had nine catches for over a hundred. But Metcalf a non factor, albeit the stat line would have looked better if Lucas was a yard closer to the line of scrimmage. But um it, it was just an uninspired performance. And I do, uh, for for even though Gino wasn't good, I put a lot of today's uh blame on Shane Waldron. That was not a well call game at all.
0: No, not at all. And to your point, uh so far on the season, doing some quick math, DK with uh eleven catches for seventy eight yards. Uh, if my math is correct. So definitely possession, uh, receiver type numbers. You mentioned the big play and, and that was kind of manufactured on a, on a trick play, which I thought was even sloppy from the beginning. It wasn't really in sync. And, and, uh, the throw from the running back wasn't great. I thought Gino was late getting rid of it. It was just an incredible jump ball, uh, from DK Metcalf, but I'm with you. I, I, we all know that Gino won the job. Uh, and I'm going to do finger quotes on this. He won the job in preseason um, because Drew Locke made too many mistakes and because Gina was the safer player. Um, but if in a rebuilding season, when you're trying to build a roster and see what you have, uh, I think being safe to a fault is a mistake. And, and to not take your $25 million a year receiver, who's as big an athletic freak as anyone on the field and give him a couple of design deep shots. And not manufactured, not contrived trick plays. Just give him, give him deep shots. San Francisco's strength up on defense is at front seven. You mentioned it. Their corners are good, but they're not great. They're not known as great coverage guys. And they're certainly not, not matching up with DK size-wise. That's frustrating. Uh, you mentioned Tyler Lockett. He did have the nine catches for 107 yards today. Um, he looked really good. Um, but that was really the only highlight on offense. And, and when I look at the offense as a whole... I think I think you nailed it. We're talking about rookie offensive tackles. And and for the most part, they hold their own. I I don't think they're embarrassing themselves at all. I don't think they look like they shouldn't be on the field. They just look like what what we thought they were gonna look like. And they're getting manhandled by a couple of good fronts these first couple of weeks. And it's making it tough for them. Look, we like Abe Lucas, we like Charles Cross. We love their athleticism. We love their pass blocking skills. They both have the kind of upside that 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 projects to be good in the run game. And we've seen it, especially from Lucas. We've seen him maul some guys, but clearly there aren't holes there. Clearly they're having a hard time getting going. And Pete Carroll after the game today and talking about his running game and the offense as a whole sounded as dejected as I've heard him sound in a long time. Like he had no answers. He gave a lot of like, well, I'm going to have to look at the film. We just didn't get it done. We just couldn't get going. Uh, they tried to get Kenneth Walker going, couldn't get him going. Uh, he sounds like a guy who's a little lost for answers right now, but but I pin that on the offensive line. I just think um, they're young, and we're gonna we're gonna have to struggle through this through this experience.
1: Yeah, and, and it's gonna be growing pains for a lot of these players, Lucas and Cross in particular. I, d- I didn't think the offensive line was atrocious in pass protection. No, they weren't. But re- really, it was it wasn't a win yeah. certainly uh, in terms of their their matchups against Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa and, and uh, I think Abu Kam as well. I mean, it's just a, a mismatch. That's a more talented defensive line compared to the, I guess, neophytes-ish Seahawks offensive line where yeah. even with Haynes coming into the game, it's not like Haynes has some illustrious history of getting snaps yeah. on the field. It took him three years to, to even get regular playing time. Yeah. He got cut in 2021, and then he came back through the practice squad. So, yeah, they'll, they'll take their lumps. But the running game, uh, I think that was the, the, the real hammer blow. And they've had a hard time running against the Niners for years now. Um, It has been a good while, maybe 2018, I I would say is the last time that they have had any sort of successful rushing attack against that 49ers front. And that's across multiple lineups uh, on the offensive line. So if they can't run the ball effectively, um, like I said, it's going to be on Gino's arm. And if Gino's not going to take enough chances down the field, then they're really at a loss. I know Gino had said in the postgame press or something about, the 49ers were playing a lot of shell coverages, so they tried to limit the, the big plays to Lockett and, and Metcalf. Okay, well, on then then on Waldron's side, you got to be able to scheme yards after catch. Yeah, And, and if that can't happen, then your, your offense is DOA. And, of course, we know how they are on screen passes. The easiest yak play you can imagine can't do that. But you can still find something in the intermediate. You can find something on a bootleg. And they just couldn't. I mean, every catch that they were having – it felt like it was an immediate tackle situation. They're not even in position to break tackles. Yeah. So the Niners were just swarming to the ball. They were they were all over Seattle's uh, receiving threats and their running backs.
0: You know what's frustrating as a longtime Seahawks fan, I feel like we have this conversation every year where we see where where they don't utilize their personnel properly on offense. And in, and in particular, it's been an ongoing issue that they don't utilize their running backs in the passing game. And they're not a very effective screen team when they should be, given what they're trying to accomplish on offense. But yet, and it doesn't matter who the offensive coordinator is. They all, they all tease it, they all talk about it. They don't execute it in the regular season. This preseason, we saw it. We saw DJ Dallas. We saw Travis Homer. We saw Kenneth Walker in that first game. We I even talked on the show a couple weeks ago about how I thought Geno Smith and Drew Locke showed showed a propensity, a little bit more skill for that type of game than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson didn't really like throwing those those passes. Um, we haven't seen any of that and that might've helped today a little bit. We haven't seen, um, we haven't seen them spread the ball around the way we thought we were going to, we haven't seen the stuff that we have come to become accustomed to when we watch the LA Rams play. Right. And that's and maybe we need to stop talking about Shane Waldron as bringing a Sean McVay offense with him. Maybe he didn't. Maybe this is what Pete Carroll wants and he's just sprinkling in some cool formations, but let me, let's get to the let's get to the apex of this story. There was a pivotal moment in this game. And I think you and I have just talked about difficulty in the running game, difficulty in Geno Smith getting, uh, making things happen in the passing game. To me, there was a sign today, a little bit of evidence during this game that the coaches don't trust that offensive line either to get it done. And we saw that in the red zone. Second quarter, nice little drive by the Seahawks put together. They get down inside the red zone. And first... We see two back-to-back plays out of the Wildcat, which we haven't seen in Seattle. I don't know. Did they run it with Percy a couple of times? Like It's been a minute. And I think think, um, when it first came into vogue, um, I think we saw it a couple of times way back when. But the first play with Kenneth Walker uh, in the Wildcat didn't really go anywhere. The second one pitches it to DJ Dallas, who then tries to throw it to DK Metcalf in the corner of the end zone. DK Metcalf was open. Pete Carroll said after the game, it worked. He literally said the words, it worked. We just didn't throw the ball very well. Yeah. He threw the ball five yards short of the intended receiver right into the hands of a 49er defender to end that drive. Um, it was, what was the score at that time? Was it 10-0? I
1: think it was 13-0. 13 nothing so at that it, time. The game was still within reach. Yeah. They just,
0: that to me look, was so out of left field, it just screamed, we don't trust our offensive line to get a push and create space in the running game. And we don't really trust Geno Smith to make a play down here either. I was shocked by the execution. I was shocked by the play call, not shocked by the execution. To me, it just smacked of a lack of trust.
1: Um, Whatever they, I mean, I I want to hear more from Shane Waldron for why they made that play call. And Pete can see it worked. It worked great for the 49ers because DJ (laughs) Dallas, uh, much less likely to complete that pass to DK Metcalf. Then Gino Smith, Drew Locke, and Sean Mannion from the practice squad. I mean, the Seahawks and trick plays is a complicated history because I remember yeah. in the Carolina game a few years back, I think it might have been Josh Gordon's very last snap on the team. After picking off Carolina, they throw some ridiculous deep ball with Gordon to a covered Metcalf, I believe, actually, too, and it gets intercepted. This was worse because Gino had just made a really good play on the run, escaped a sack, went rolled to his right. Found an open Tyler Lockett. They're at the 13. Yeah. The play before the pick, I was already upset they were doing Wildcat. I felt like the 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 use of Kenneth Walker was so ham fisted. And it's it, it was lucky that they even got yards on that play. Yeah. Because it looked like a dead play. And then Walker just broke tackles to get a few yards. And then I see wait, they're doing Wildcat again. Right. I mean say what you want about Pete Carroll and quote Stone Age offense. He has modernized to 2008. The Ronnie Brown years, because that that was uh, when when Wildcat really took off in in the NFL with with the Miami Dolphins using it against New England. But in twenty twenty two, using that back to back plays is befuddling. Dallas has never thrown a pass in his career, or at least in his NFL career Mm-mm. for sure. I don't recall if he's ever thrown a pass in college, and
0: sure looked like he'd never thrown a football before. I mean, it was it was as ugly a throw as you're ever going to see from a running
1: back. Yeah, I, I would have assumed that they had replaced the football with a football with a shot course. Father knows of, of about sorts. saving. I mean, money. it was just everything so I'm wearing inept. I've had since And for for the Seahawks to just give away points like that because they were in field goal range. Yeah. At worst, if you kick a field goal it's 13 to 3. Right. And you're you're cool with that. But they should have just kept Gino in the game. Gino has his best play of the whole game and they take him out for the next two snaps. I mean, that was a really awful decision by Shane Walter to even go to that well. And the Seahawks never really recovered from that, and it got worse because you had another turnover right after that that maybe should have been a penalty on the 49ers. But that play, the the Dallas interception, that was a microcosm of how sloppy and undisciplined and generally disorganized the Seahawks looked throughout this game on both sides of the ball, but particularly on offense.
0: Well, I've just always been a proponent of of – play to your strengths and use what you have at your disposal. And, you know, this was shades of Jimmy Graham's first season in Seattle and his third season in Seattle. When, you know, you're, you're inside the red zone, right? You're, you're rolling a little bit, the game's still within reach. The other team's playing with their backup quarterback, regardless of the fact he's an experienced player. Um, You've got uh, DK Metcalf, again, one of the most physical receivers in the league. A guy, 40-plus-inch vertical lead. Which was supposed to be the one. Sorry, hang I on. I've, I've got box score one. opened up on ESPN here, and it keeps rolling these ads. Um, it, you know, you could you could throw him a fade. You could try to get the ball to him in space. You've got a 6-foot, 8-inch tight end uh, in Colby Parkinson. You've got uh, all those tight ends, really. You've got weapons down there, and a big, tall res- uh, quarterback who can, you know, try to make a play. It just It just seemed really weird. We just spent... The entire offseason listening to Pete Carroll talk about how they wanted to play football. They want to run the football, they want to base it around that. They want to play efficient in the passing game, take some deep shots once in a while, get some explosive plays, and play good defense and special teams. And they get into the red zone with it with the game still in reach, on the road against a good opponent, and they do that. That just it just seems really, really contradictory.
1: Yeah, it was. And you know what? I'm reminded when Dallas made that ill-fated throw, I'm reminded of when Daryl Belvo back in the 2011 season, I think it was the Monday nighter against the Rams, and he had Marshawn Lynch do a trick play pass, not once, but twice. Incomplete both times. Mm-hmm. Turns out that was a lot better than what we saw today. I haven't pulled up any advanced metrics or anything, but I bet the win probability, which was already probably not going to be high at the, at that point, just, just plunged straight after because you can't have that sort of turnover when – You know points were going to be at a premium just on the weather alone. I mean, the the over-under on this was low for a reason, and it it still hit under, in large part because of the Seahawks' ineptitude. But, you know, it's going to be a bad weather game. That's a really good defense. You cannot screw around inside the 20-yard line, really not anywhere at any part of the field, but especially there when points are, are, are highly likely to be scored as long as you don't turn the ball over. Yeah. and. It's it's unfortunate for DJ Dallas. You should have never been in that position. The thing that's
0: different that about play. a verbal vacation and for
1: the Seahawks, um, part of the reason that they haven't scored in six quarters in in six consecutive quarters, is just silliness like that. It's the turnovers. I mean, Metcalf lost a fumble last week, yeah. and then Dallas throws an interception in, in in this in the red zone. They've been their own worst enemy. I mean, you, you add in the penalties too. Just um, it, it was frustrating. Yeah. And it could have been a lot worse. I think the forty nines were hardly great. I mean it was a it was a no, they really weren't. win it, a workman like performance for them. They really never had to get into second gear.
0: And we really did see in the second half, I thought the defense came back and played well. I thought they really shored up some of those run fits and and made it much more difficult for the forty nine to run the football. They they got a little pressure on Garoppolo. He got hit a couple of times. They they were um they they were in position to make a couple of plays. Um It was a a good enough defensive performance in the second half to give him a chance to come back and win the game if the offense could do anything. Uh, They did do this, not the offense, but the the Seahawks did, talking about their special teams. Let's listen to their one highlight of the game.
1: 20 and it's blocked. That's a live ball into the hands of Mike Jackson. And he gets past Wisniewski. Tariq Wollin comes up huge. The rookie with the block. And Mike Jackson with his first NFL touchdown. And that has turned the game around, perhaps.
0: Mm. Keyword there, perhaps. We thought it could turn the game around. But let's talk about the play, first of all. Because I, in a season that's going to be highlighted by a lot of young guys playing and, and about trying to build a roster for the future, Tariq Wolin has to be one of the highlights of the first couple weeks, doesn't he? He came around the edge on that, just really showed his athleticism, his length, uh, his playmaking ability. Mike Jackson, once again, in the right place at the right time, he has three fumble recoveries already, uh, in his young career as a Seahawk returns it for the touchdown. Wolin, um, had another penalty, but he looked good in coverage again today. Doesn't look like a liability. looks like a guy, um, who's, who could be a big time player out at that right cornerback position, uh, is he your your one lone highlight of the game? Is his performance today
1: of the young players? Yes, um, Tyreek Weldon looks the real deal. He he didn't he hasn't looked out of place at corner through two games, and unlike Kobe Bryant, whom I think might have a hard time seeing the field these these next few weeks, for unless you know Justin Coleman's out a little bit longer term, Woolen is a value both defensively and on special teams. I mean, that was a great well timed block. He almost had Ross Dwelly doing these splits. Yeah. I mean, that would have been a, a, a painful painful thing for, for <laughs> a big man like Dwelly to, to try and block two people at, at once. But Willen got around him, and that also shows his speed. I mean, his, his speed, we already knew, was, was fantastic, both in yeah. his tape and at the combine. And Michael Jackson is the ultimate opportunist, you could say, because he, he's got two fumble recoveries at the goal line, and then he gets a scoop and score on the Seahawks' first blocked kick or blocked field goal uh, touchdown since – the 42 13 drumming of the Niners, in which I believe it was Red Bryant, who was yeah. prolific at block kicks. He got the ball, uh, I think, on a David Akers field goal. And it was a similar distance. It was a very short field goal that got blocked, and Richard Sherman picked it up yeah. and scored. And that pretty much ended the game. This was perhaps a turning point, but this wasn't like the uh, that 2006 game that the Bears are who we thought they were game, right? With Chicago down 20 to nothing against Arizona and then they win with three de- uh, defensive and special teams touchdowns. That was really the only way the Seahawks were going to win the game. So Woolen, very encouraged by his play. Um, I would say of, of the defensive guys, Al Woods was a standout. Oh, he was a beast today. Bad, you know, as bad yeah. as the run defense was for much of this game, he does his assignments. And I'll tell you what, the roster construction of this defense is odd because they look so undersized in the trenches, and it shows on how many of their guys are getting destroyed at the line of scrimmage. It's less of the linebackers. It's more of the de- defensive tackles and ends. They're losing their matchups too often. Al Woods is the exception. Yeah. Uh, Yuchenna Nwosu, they're talking about quarterback hits. He literally had the only quarterback hits for other well, – well, Boy Maffe had a sack on Garoppolo. I don't know if that will be corrected because that looked like a, a busted play. Yeah. Garoppolo got back to the line. I was surprised to see, so see they him credit
0: him with a sack, yeah.
1: Yeah, so they give him a sack and a quarterback hit for that. But in, Nwosu had three quarterback hits – so, obviously, several pressures and a pass defensed. He has been one of the bright spots through two weeks, as has Al Woods, as has Tariq Woolen. They did better in the second half, but as a whole, I feel like the roster is set up that they have to be bend but don't break. And eventually, they, they had to break at some point. But the, the missed assignments, the bad tackling again, I yeah. mean, the, the poor tackling at all three levels, whether it's the, the, the defensive line or the linebackers or the secondary, they're letting too many guys – off the hook for what turn you know, turning in, turning big losses or, or, or no gainers into several yards. Like Debo Samuel had a 52 yard run where Daryl Taylor had him dead to rights and he got his ankles broken instead. Yeah. Um, Taylor has been a big disappointment to me through two games. Yeah. I know he got a couple of good run stops and eventually they stopped getting gashed for six, seven yards of carry, but he has been a total no show in, in terms of the pass rush. And a lot of it is I think he's just too eager to go upfield. He runs himself out of plays way too often. And then it, they tried to put him in a, on, on twists and, and just nothing was working there. So the pass rush, our, our question mark would be, who was going to generate the pass rush? Was there going to be a dominant pass rush? Could Daryl Taylor make that leap after a promising first season essentially because he didn't play in 2020? Yeah, And through two games, I've not been impressed. And really, he has to be better than that because after Nwosu, I mean, there's a pretty big drop off as far as who else has been effective in terms of pass rush on the edges. And if that's going to keep happening, the Seahawks are going to repeatedly have five, six, seven minute drives stacked up against them. As much as you can pin the offense for a lot of why the time of possession stats have been lopsided game after game after game, dating back to last season. This defense played the most snaps in the NFL in 2020 in a 12 and 4 season, I might add. Most snaps in the NFL last year, and they played a ton of snaps through through two weeks again. Some of that is the defensive scheme. And while Ben but don't break maybe the Best way to to minimize the potential, you know, go big or go home, and then they get thirty or forty put on them. It's agonizing to watch death by a thousand paper cuts because, I mean, they were good on third down this time, but early in the first half they're getting chewed up on early downs. Yeah, and at that point I don't care how well how how well you're performing on third down if you're giving up first downs and first and second downs. So the defense redeemed itself sort of in the second half, but in the first half that looked like basically what we criticized Ken Norton for. And as much as it it doesn't matter, the coordinator at this point, whether it's Clint Hurt, whether it's Ken Norton or Chris Richard, these last couple of years, it's sort of been the same deal without a pass rush. The way this defense is set up, they're going to have a hard time just getting quick three and outs. And they were unlucky, admittedly, that they kept getting penalized. Yeah. Um, Kobe Bryant's got a couple of flags, and I think at least one of them was very well deserved. Michael Jackson got a a, a DPI. Willen might have gotten flagged as well the Niners only have one penalty against them. so Yeah, for the whole game. It it, it comes around on you because (laughs) Seattle benefited a ton from Denver's penalties last week, and evidently that's going to be a season-long thing for the Broncos at this point. But today, the 49ers, it felt like they played a relatively clean game in terms of the penalties. I didn't see too many instances where I could go the 49ers should have been flagged for that. The Seahawks might have been harshly flagged on a couple of plays. I think there was one PI that Bryant had where I thought the pass was uncatchable. But in general, they earned this L and then some.
0: Yeah, you mentioned it. it. It did feel a lot like last year. You know, the defense had to be on the field too long because the offense couldn't sustain drives and, and couldn't sustain that running game, at least until the last few games last year. And and uh, and I'm with you. I, I predicted big things for Daryl Taylor this year. I, I thought he would get double-digit sacks. I thought he was that dynamic type of a edge rusher. Maybe it's an adjustment to the new scheme and how they're using him. I don't know. I wonder if Boye Mafe might start to get some more snaps as we move forward because it does seem like when he's in there, he's around the ball and he tends to make plays. Um, but that's been my biggest disappointment. And then you pointed it out. You know, that defensive line just isn't isn't impacting the game. Uh, and the, the one guy on the interior that can kind of get after the quarterback a little bit, Shelby Harris, left the game again today. It's a hamstring issue. Don't know how serious that is. Um, it's, you know, when we start talking later in the year about all those extra draft picks we have next year. And certainly quarterback's going to be a center of that conversation. I think a, a dynamic difference maker on the defensive line is a huge, huge, huge need on this team. It's something they're lacking right now. And and um, the way you make up for that is with linebacker play. I thought Brooks and Barton were good. Again, they, they had 21 tackles between them. But, uh, you know, Jordan Brooks is racking up tackles, but he's not making plays either. He's not really doing anything dynamic. It's just when your offense can't sustain drives you have to have some guys up front that can, that can impact the game. And we just haven't shown that so far. And then we get the, we get the block field goal. So it's 20-7 to seven at that point, still early in the second half. There's a chance. Next time we get the football on offense, two interior runs on first and second down, and then a Geno Smith-designed run on third down, wasn't it, uh, that comes up short, three and out. And to me, that was the game you know you, you come out you're going to go you're going to go wildcat trick plays in the red zone in the first half right to almost take yourself out of the game you come back in the second half you get back into the game potentially and that's your answer i just it it just felt like a young football team that doesn't have enough playmakers that's trying to figure things out going up against a team that's got more things figured out Today smacked to me of this is kind of what we thought this year was going to look like and that the first half of last week and all the um, all the emotion and all the excitement surrounding that game and Russell Wilson, that storyline and everything kind of masked some of the real issues that we saw in that game. They come out with the W. This game, to use the Dennis Green line again, we are who they thought they were. I think we're going to see, there's going to be some good weeks, but I think we're going to see a lot more of this as the season continues.
1: Yeah, and, and I wrote that up last week in, in my winners and losers column after the Broncos game, is that they are going to have some games. If we assume that Denver can look any bit more competent than they have these first two games, because... Yeah, they were not good awesome. today. They were very bad. Wilson in particular, yeah. um, that's as bad as I've seen him for a while. Um, and then and Hackett looks like if they don't make the playoffs, that's a one-year head coach and he's mm. fired. Um, but I said last week that they're going to have some weeks where they win unexpectedly. That Broncos win was, by the betting lines, an unexpected win. They were a touchdown underdog at home. This was a pretty expected loss. I know I picked Seattle, but I can occasionally be a homer. I'm allowed to do that.
0: <laughs> it's and, hard not to.
1: Uh, they looked like they deserved the 10-point underdog tag, even though the Niners are coming off a loss to Chicago. Yeah. And you think about the bad teams on their schedule per se, like Atlanta, they could easily be two-0. I mean, they they blew the Saints game, but Atlanta's just got that unique ability to squander leads. And then of all things, they almost come back from 28-3 down to beat the Rams, and then Mariota throws an interception. So you can't take the bad teams, quote-unquote, lightly if you're the Seahawks, because if you are a bad team, then there are no easy games. So you look at uh, Atlanta this week, Detroit's one and one but Detroit has played, they've lit it up on offense through two weeks. Mm -hmm. New Orleans has a, New Orleans' offense looks pretty much as bad as Seattle's outside of the fourth quarter of the Falcons' game. But their defense is good enough that that could be an ugly mess of a game from start to finish. Yeah. Or Carolina, again, bad team, zero and two. That's a little bit further down the line. There might be some weeks where they lose to a bad team as as soon as next week, perhaps. And then there are other weeks where you could go, "Wow, they they, they might just topple the the, the Raiders." Or the Chargers, or pull off a, another win in Arizona. Or yeah, something there's going
0: like to be that. weeks when it all comes together. I think and, there's I think there's just, enough talent yeah. there for sure.
1: Yeah, it, it's just the nature of, of a team that doesn't have high expectations. I know yeah. Week One is perfect overreaction week because one and zero oh always feels great. I mean, opening day across all sports, whether it's the major major league baseball, or National Hockey League, or or, or you know the NBA, but one and zero oh in a sixteen in a seventeen game season you've got dreams. yeah. And then week two is normally the reality check week. And and there are a lot of reality checks around the league. And I think the Seahawks certainly got one. And look, it's a, it's still very early in the season. Mm -hmm. There's still adjustments that can be made. I noticed that a lot of offenses have not looked all that cohesive, including Denver, especially Denver. Yeah. Bengals have
0: struggled on offense. Joe Burrow doesn't look very good. There's Arizona looked terrible for three quarters again today before they pulled it out at the end. There's, there's, you're right. It's a league of adjustments, but week two is the ultimate adjustment week. It's, you know, there's teams that with new coaching staffs and, and new quarterbacks and things in week one, and you don't know what to expect from them. There's a lot of vanilla game planning that happens in week one. And then you kind of find out who teams are. And I think we might've seen a little bit of that today. And, and that's the thing to me about Geno Smith is is everyone knows what he is. He's when he, Even when he's playing well, He's not a guy that's going to strike fear in opposing defensive coordinators. And and teams know exactly how to defend them, uh, defend him. Let me ask you this. If today is more like what we think we're going to see the rest of the year, and this is a team, you know, it's easy, like you said, to get caught up in week one. Hey, wow, they pull one off this week. Then they got the Falcons coming in. Then they got the Lions. Maybe they get off to a good start. Maybe this team can kind of sneaky contend and win eight, nine games. Now, after this week, I think a lot of the talk on sports radio and Twitter is going to be, okay, which quarterback are we going to draft with our top five pick? Because now we're back to thinking that, that this is what it is. It's a rebuild and it's all about next year and what we do in the draft next year. If that is the case and we see more performances like this, how long do you think the leash is on Geno Smith at a certain point? Do you think they turn to Drew Locke for a spark and just to see what they have as they s- try to make some decisions moving forward?
1: I would be stunned if Geno actually started the whole 17. Um, because that would mean... And not because of injury, right? Not because of injury. Yeah. And to tell you what, it, 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 this has been a, a the last few years we've seen quarterbacks just go down on a weekly basis. Yeah. Even Russell Wilson as indestructible as he's been. He finally had to miss time last year. We've seen freak injuries like like Prescott's last week knock you out for a few weeks. hmm uh, I think we'll see Locke at some point. And again, it's, I don't want to say lesser of two evils, but it is a pick your poison deal where, where Gino is less turnover prone than Locke, but he is unlikely to give you deep shots down the field or, or something that can make defenses think, you know, as far as stretching the field. Whereas Locke can give you more splash plays, mm-hmm. but he's also extremely erratic with his accuracy and the turnovers he committed in preseason and the turnovers he's committed in Denver make you realize he is probably not a viable starting quarterback in this league. But just for something different, that could happen. But I don't think this game Pete will be willing to put on Geno as much as it as it was the lack of a running game, the struggles with the offensive line of pass protection, a couple of bad breaks here and there, and the 49ers being a good defensive, not a great one. But if this persists against bet, you know worse teams, like if I see next week against the Falcons – they're scoring 10 offensive points and then against Detroit, they're struggling to score and against, you know, the Raiders and, and other teams through the first half of the season, then there's going to be some consideration as far as making a quarterback change. Um, I, I can see it happening. I, I wouldn't bet on it just yet, Yeah. but you know, I also wouldn't rule out us seeing all three quarterbacks could end up seeing Sean <laughs> in, in, in case it, it really gets bleak, but right. yeah, for, for, with the Seahawks offense in the Geno Smith world, you're going to get a lot of games where, wow, his stats look pretty inoffensive and the offense is just generally inefficient. So Waldron's really going to have to earn his stripes by finding ways to maximize his efficiency. And he's still got time. It's still very early, early in the season. Everybody's one and one in the NFC West. Now thanks to Arizona's comeback for the ages, but um, it's also hard to watch. And at, at least I want to see an exciting offense and the excitement level from quarter number three of the Denver game through the end of this 49ers game has been very, very low. And like I said, it's it's somewhat reminiscent of the Tavares-Jackson yep. offenses in 2011. And the only way that gets fixed, I think, if it's going to be similar to, to Tavares's year, is if the running game gets going again. Mm-hmm. I know they have to pass to win. But if they can unlock Penny and unlock Kenneth Walker and just get chunk play so that not everything is going to be put on Geno's arm, then there, there'll be reason for optimism. But in the meantime, Seattle's got a brutal schedule. There's no two ways about it. And I know the Raiders might be 0-2, and the Chargers are 1-1, and you don't know how healthy Herbert's going to be in a month's time. Yeah. But you figure that the Seahawks are going to be an underdog for a lot of games for the rest of the season. And a lot of it is because the strength of the defenses that they're going to face down the line is going to be absolutely brutal just, on the ter- just in terms of the pass rush. Mm-hmm. I and mean, you're playing the Raiders with Chandler Jones and Max Crosby. You're playing the Chargers with Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. Yeah. You know, the Falcons don't really have too much of a pass rush, but Arnold Ebecchetti is somebody who, who looks promising through through the, through the first couple of weeks of the season. And Aiden Hutchinson, I think, had three Ooh, sacks. Today had three sacks Carson in the first Reddy. half. So, yeah, it's going to be a tall order for this offensive line and therefore a tall order for Geno Smith. And really, if the Seahawks are going to be able to scrape together more wins down the line beyond the offense, finding a way to be more efficient. The defense is going to have to force turnovers. And they forced none today because a blocked field goal is not a turnover. And they weren't too close. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. they forced any fumbles. They weren't very close to it. I mean, Quandre might have had an interception, but it was better to drop that for field position reasons.
0: Yeah, one of the go over line.
1: the last 20 or 21 games. The Seahawks have had like three interceptions by cornerbacks. Yeah. So Quandre Diggs has been the ball hawk. They have to find ways to generate some game-changing plays on defense instead of just... Letting teams march down the field six, seven yards at a time. You can't have both. You could get away with it in years past when Wilson was able to make magic happen. But with a Geno Smith offense you, or a Drew Locke offense down the line, you can't have that and the defense just letting plays develop, letting drives get into the red zone. That's not sustainable yeah. because one of these days, it's not going to be only giving up 27. It's going to be giving up 40 something well,
0: I uh, hinted on Twitter today that I had a little bit of a conspiracy theory about the Seahawks, and heres uh, I'll unveil it now. Um, Pete Carroll's never, ever, ever going to use the word tank. He's never going to admit that they're rebuilding. In fact, he's done the opposite, that he's, he's kept the company line that we can compete, and we think we like this roster, and we, we think we have more talent on this roster than other people around the league and, and people that cover the sport do. Um, but look, they're tanking. They're 100% tanking. And if you needed any evidence other than that, um, you know, they could have gone out and got, well, they could have had Matt Ryan for a fifth round pick, but maybe that was a good choice because it looks like Matt Ryan might be done. Uh, he's, he's been terrible for the Colts through two weeks. They could have had Baker Mayfield who's looked okay for Carolina for a fifth round pick that could become a fourth. If they were serious about wanting to win this year, they could have done those things. Then they pivot and they, they talk about how much they believe in Geno Smith. And that he's the guy and that they think they can win with him. And the guys know him in the locker room and he knows the system and everyone's going to rally around him. But they've showed such a lack of trust in him and he's shown such a lack of playmaking ability that, look, we know exactly what's happening here. And so week one was fun. It was a lot of fun. It was an exciting electric atmosphere. It kind of hinted at what could be. And it was it was cool to get that moment uh, you know, with Russell Wilson being involved in, in all of that. But now we're in reality. And I do think that what we saw today is a lot more of what we're going to see the rest of the year. And so I think what we're going to be talking about on this show for the remainder of the year, for the most part, rather than, than really picking apart each game and, and where the pivotal moments were, is looking at the big picture. And... It's easy to get too high coming off a win. It's easy to get too low coming off a loss. I do still like a lot of the young pieces that they put in place on this roster. And if a a couple of plays had gone differently here or there and this had been a three-point loss or a one-score loss and they had a chance to win at the end, I think maybe we're feeling a lot differently about this. And I do think there were still some good things to take away from this game, and that is that there are a lot of young guys playing. For the most part, they held their own and those guys are learning and getting better every week, there's going to come a time, and it's going to be, I think it's not going to be that far down the road. We're going to be talking about, look at that pick that Tariq Wollin had, that game-changing play that Mike Jackson or Josh Jones came up with, or Daryl Taylor getting loose. Look how good the offensive tackles are playing and how well they 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 handled that front seven that we just saw. 27-7 um, to 7 doesn't look good. But uh, I think there's still some cool things going on. And I'm excited about the process itself. And look, they come home and play the Atlanta Falcons next week. We could be singing a different tune next week and talking about a two-in-one Seahawk team that, that has some good things going for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, to tell you what, Mariota more or less gave away today's game against the Rams, but there's an alternate, there's an alternate universe where the Seahawks might have actually taken Desmond Ritter, who is yeah. Mariota's yeah. backup at the moment. They brought him in for a visit.
0: Like- they liked him.
1: Yeah, he was the only one of of the quarterbacks in a weak class, a perceived weak class, and probably is just a weak class outright, that they brought in for an official visit. And I think sooner rather than later, Ritter's going to end up starting over Mariota because, you know, Mariota is also, he is who he is. He's not what he was crafted to be after his electrifying years at Oregon, and then all the injuries didn't help either. But, you know, the, the Atlanta game, it's in theory a bad team against a bad team. And hopefully it's more exciting than what we saw today from from Seattle against San Francisco. But Atlanta's been competitive, should have won the Saints game, made a spirited comeback against the Rams who might have their own concerns after nearly pulling a Falcons against the Falcons with the 28-3 lead at home, I might add. Yeah. Um, Yes, so, you know, it is a big picture thing. And you mentioned your your conspiracy theory. Well, I think back, I have to keep going back to 2011 um, because that was the gap year, so to Mm -hmm. speak. Because they had a playoff season, but it was an unusual one in 2010 to to make the playoffs, win the division at 7-9 and and get blown out in pretty much every loss along the way. They were doing massive reconstruction and renovating of that roster because basically Tim Ruskell and and everybody else just left it in in ruins. So Carroll and Schneider had to make changes. So they let Hasselbeck walk from his contract. And in 2011, they didn't go after Colin Kaepernick. When he was available, they didn't go after Andy Dalton. They could have picked a quarterback in the first round of that draft, or traded down to early second and gotten one. Yeah, they could have gone for Kevin Kolb. You remember Kevin Kolb <laughs> was supposed to be the Kalb. real deal because of his brief appearances yes. in Philadelphia. They could have traded for Carson Palmer when Palmer mm-hmm. more or less said, "I'm not playing for the Bengals anymore." Yeah, they could have traded for Donovan McNabb, and that would have been a really bad thing because McNabb was mucho washed by then. Yeah. but still, they could have gone higher then staying with Charlie Whitehurst, and then signing Tavares Jackson. And yet, they chose to have both of them on the roster, and we ended up seeing some exciting games, like the Giants win. They weren't supposed to beat the eventual Super Bowl champions, but we saw seeds planted of a soon-to-be elite defense. And we also saw the 6-3 disaster, the game that Whitehurst started as one of the worst games in Seahawks franchise history. So I think we're going to get a lot of 2011 similarities. It's not going to be identical because there are more established players in terms of talent on this roster than the 2011 edition. Mm
0: -hmm. But,
1: yeah, you have to go bigger picture with this roster. I think the only way that we see the Seahawks have to question the job security of Carroll and or Schneider is if this really goes off the rails. And that means they go 2-15 and or 3-14, and and they look like a completely dysfunctional, poorly coached team. If it's anything at that level, then job security has to be questioned, because that would mean that despite all the pumping up of the roster and having Metcalf and having Lockett, having Penny and all these young guys, you are one of the three worst teams in the league. Yeah. Any bit higher than that, and I think Carol and Schneider are fine. You can sell the vision. It's just, it has to work starting next year. And I think for Carol and Schneider, they're going to be salesmen, essentially, for the rest of this season, where they're going to be games that look like this, growing pains, et cetera, et cetera. Quandre Diggs, it said in the postgame, uh, apparently. Obviously, we're not that good with the emphasis on that. And that couldn't mm-hmm. be any truer, Quandre. I yeah. mean, we, we knew the Seahawks weren't going to be just holding teams to 16 points and getting goal line stands every week. Right. Um, but we also know that they can be better than the 27-7 the to drubbing here. So just buckle up for the ride and hope it's not that painful. I don't want to say trust the process, but <laughs> it, it, because God knows as an NBA fan. Just recognize is one it, one is, one, it right? is a process. That's step one, right? It is a process. And there are a lot of Seahawks fans who weren't necessarily around For what that rebuilding process. Right. Not saying you're a bandwagon fan, but just if the success of the 2012 team brought in a bigger fan base, that's now really global. But the lead up to that was kind of painful. It was like pulling teeth. And right now this offense is like pulling all the teeth out, including the wisdom teeth. But, you know, again, early in the season, check back next week. If they end up beating Atlanta, then suddenly we're all celebrating again, celebrating again, entering October.
0: Good stuff. Mookie, thanks for joining me today. Um, The Seahawks again lose 27-7 to the 49ers, but you brought up the point. You know what? You want to find a silver lining? The Seahawks are still tied for first place in the NFC West with all three other teams in the division. Didn't look like it was going to be that way until Arizona came back and got that win today, but uh, they take on the Atlanta Falcons next week. It's a Sunday home game. I think the forecast looks pretty good. Should be good conditions for the Seahawks. And, you know, I think that the ongoing storyline every single week is going to be, let's see how they react this week. So I wanted to see how they reacted coming off an emotional week one high. Didn't go so well. How are they going to bounce back now coming back at home after losing to a division rival and playing really poorly? How's Geno Smith going to bounce back? How's that defense? Are they going to take another step forward? Are we going to see some personnel changes? That's the kind of stuff on a week-in, week-out week out basis that I think is going to be kind of fun as we move forward. Thank you for your insight, Mookie. As always, read the website, fieldgoals.com. His game recap is up there already. We, got, we have tons of good stuff coming up over the next couple of days. I'm going to listen into Carol's radio show tomorrow morning, see if there's any insight there, anything cool I can pull from that. So I may do a, a reaction episode of to that tomorrow as well, if there's anything I think is cool. I do expect he will sound a little more optimistic tomorrow. He tends to do that. After watching the film, sleeping on it, he'll come back with some rah-rah stuff tomorrow. We'll be there for that. Mookie, thanks for joining me. You can find him on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. I am at Seahawks forever. I'll talk to you in a couple days. Thanks for listening to the show.